Well, welcome back, everyone. This is Beth. And I'm Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast. Hey, we're glad that you've, uh, you're back. So hopefully you've listened to part one of this episode series because, uh, we had a great discussion with Shanti and Jeff Feldhein regarding their book, Thriving in Love and Money. And here's a few things that we just want to remind you of uh, as a summary. Um, here are the presenting problems when it comes to money and couples. Over three years, the Feldhauns discovered that 90% of couples have tension around money. And and we're one of those 90%. Beth yeah. and I, for our various dances and about money and our own fears and all kinds of things and seasons, and uh, we're one of them, 90%. So that means that this is, this is a problem. And it also helps for people that are listening. You're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah, that's right. Number two, and this is incredible, less than 25% of us can even talk about money. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to deal with the issues whenever you can't even discuss what's actually happening between the two, the two of you? And then lastly, is it less than 20 of us? What unless said 20% of us, less than 20 people, 20 couples total in the world. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) Less than 20% of us have working budgets. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. There are tons of opportunities and software phone apps, programs, Bible studies, Ramsey, organizations, mm-hmm. thriving, financial planners, they knowing how to do, manage your money, there are tons of resources, yep. but we're not using them. Yeah. And here's the big principle that we want you to understand. And this is why we do what we do. Your problem is not your problem. Your problem is is your perspective on the problem. Let me say that again. Your problem is not your problem. The problem is not your spending or your saving. The problem is not um, whether you save or whether you spend. The problem is not budgeting. Because if it were, we we would solve the problem by getting a budget, by getting a phone app. The real problem lies in our hearts. As Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires which wage war in your heart? So we could tell you to talk about money, but if you don't address what's happening in your heart, those conversations aren't going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And we could tell you to create a budget, but if you don't address the motivations, that budget's you're not even going to be able to get to the point where you finish creating the budget together because mm-hmm. you're going to get spun off. Or if you create a budget and you're super rigid, which makes it hard for your spouse and family. We can tell you how not to be rigid, but if you don't know why you are, it's not going to change. So the Feldhans discovered that the solutions lie in three things. Number one, understanding one another at a heart level. Number two, to grow in your ability and skill to be able to talk about money and the motivations that drive how you relate to money. And then the last thing, the very practical thing that they discovered is that there is a tremendous burden lifted for a couple whenever they have a financial cushion. Now, our goal in this podcast is to walk through all nine types to help you to be able to talk at a heart level about money so that you and your spouse can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame to experience the unconditional love and forgiveness and freedom that is in Jesus Christ and that you can experience that with one another. So the three things that we're going to be talking about as we talk through the nine types are this one, we, what are the values that we bring? 
Number two, how can we understand one another, especially our fears as it relates to money? And then number three, we have a tendency to resist oneness in marriage, which fundamentally is how we relate to vulnerability. How can I reveal my motivations as it relates to money and do so in a way where my spouse will not bring me more fear, condemnation, or shame? All righty. So Enneagram Yoda mm-hmm. here, Beth, the Enneagram coach. Uh, why don't we dive in for type ones? Yeah. So again, when we're looking at what each type values, we need to look back at the core motivations. We'll go over this time and time again on our podcast, because really, this is why we do what we do. And so when we're looking at the values of the type one, they fear not having um, integrity, being bad, wrong, unredeemable, incorrect. They also desire to have this integrity balance to be virtuous and right. So you can imagine with their money, they're going to want to do the right thing from the resources that they've learned from their gut that's telling them this is the right way, do it. And so they're going to become very mindful of what is the right way and they're going to stick to it. So if they believe a a tight budget is the right way to do it, they're going to be in that camp. If they think that spending it in this category and that category is the right way, they're going to do that. They might be um, great savers. They might be great investors. Whatever they have learned and they believe is right, they are going to stick to that. And it's going to be hard for them to acquiesce to another person. So understand that for a type one, their value for making sure that they get it right to reflect something of justice and integrity in the world with their money is way more important than the budget itself. That budget is an expression Mm -hmm. of their heart's desire. Now, understand, too, why it would be so difficult for a one and why they would resist oneness in, in a marriage regarding money is because if they allow their spouse to handle the budget in a way that they don't believe is right, they're not addressing their own core fears. Like right. they're, they're allowing their spouse to literally go against what they value internally. And for a spouse to understand, you have to communicate with them at the level of their fear related to money. Otherwise, none of the discussion is going to matter because in their mind, the best expression is to get it right. Yeah. And what's fascinating about that is this really bleeds into their core weakness, also called a passion by other teachers of resentment. See, the ones have a loud inner critic that is going to constantly point out what is right and what is going wrong, and they need to fix it, whether it's them or someone else. And if it's not being fixed, that inner critic is not going to stop. They're going to berate them all the time. And so it's kind of like they're being assaulted and they're just wanting it to be right. So maybe that inner critic will calm down. And so they can get resentful because no one else is valuing what they value, which they think is the right way to do it. And so they can kind of get resentful. Like, am I the only adult? Am I the only responsible one here? That's right. Oh man, I bet spouses of type ones under- know that resentment uh, even before the type one even recognizes that it's in their tone, in their look. 
and which all of a sudden they're spun out because mm-hmm. they can't talk about it because all of a sudden there's this resentment at play in the relationship. Well, Bethy, tell us more about some of the tendencies for a type one when it comes to money. Well, I mean, they're going to be usually really responsible with their budget. They're going to find practical uh, ways and practices, principles, rules to follow. Um, and they're going to be very practical actually in their spending. They're not going to be impulsive. They're going to really hold back that impulse to buy. So they might see something and like it, but they might be the ones that think about it for a while or look at their budget and then they might go buy it. So it's not that they don't buy fun things, but they're going to resist that impulsiveness in spending. And they're really going to want to guide and teach others and how to be wise in their own spending, which can be really, really great unless it comes from a prickly judgmental tone. And then that's probably going to land on others, especially their spouse in a way that they're not going to appreciate. And that can, again, get them spun out. That's right. Well, you know, what's interesting, though, is that there's also a little bit of a darker side to a type one. So a lot of people assume that ones have it all together, but sometimes they can have kind of a a secret way of spending that's mm-hmm. much more impulsive. And um, it's, it's kind of a way of dealing with the inner critic or having to be the responsible one. Like, why can't I just go do what I want whenever yeah. I want? And so but tell us a little bit more about what type ones can look like when they're not healthy. Yeah, when they're struggling, they might become actually very critical of themselves. And if they have those urges of impulse buying, they do it because they're kind of wanting to go against that inner critic. Um, And then they also might become very rigid and prickly with others or very insistent that others follow through in a very specific way. Um, And then they can also become self-righteous. They have learned what is the right way to do it. And they really want to show others how to do it or get frustrated if others don't do it the right way. Now, Beth, uh, the metaphor analogy that Beth uses whenever we're unhealthy are rumble strips. Those are the that loud noise that happens when you're driving down the highway. So if if you're a type one and your spouse is giving you feedback to say, well, you're kind of rigid, I, I feel like you're kind of um, condescending when we talk about money mm-hmm. or when you're fighting to do it your way and your spouse is saying, I don't know what to say because you all, you always have the right thing. Mm-hmm. Those are rumble strips. If you're willing to entertain, to hold that feedback, you'll have the opportunity to recognize how your core motivations are leading to those. Mm -hmm. Like those are the rumble strips, the yellow flags of warning, letting you know that your heart is not in line with the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. It's not that those desires are bad, but by acting out on those desires from fear, from condemnation, whatever it may be, um, it leads to unhealthy mm-hmm. patterns of relating to money. Yeah. So invitations for the one that can get into more of a healthy pattern is their virtue of serenity. Um, this doesn't mean that you surrender to what you feel is right and wrong. It's an openness. It's a recognition that there are other ways of seeing the same thing. And that other people have gifts and talents that can be brought to the table. And I think this is going to be really, it, it's all growth is hard. So this can be really hard for a one. But here's the thing. Ones have really great wisdom that we want to learn from. But what we are hoping is that our ones will bring it with this gentleness, this uh, non-judgmentalness, receptivity to how others see it and, and collaborate. When they can do that, they can bring so much to the table. But it's in that 
place of serenity, of openness, kindness, generosity, that's really going to enhance not only their own relationship with money, but definitely their relationship with money when it is in regards to others. So funny, whenever Beth and I early on in marriage, well, I guess you still do it now, but she will say, it's not what you said, but how you say it. (laughs) And once you have so much to offer. But when it comes from a place of fear, it can come across as prickly and critical and kind of condescending, like you need to teach everybody how to do this the right way, um, versus being a wise mentor and offering up wisdom to others. Well, and one thing else that I would recommend, just, you know, as a, as a practical point of growth, this isn't everyone should do this, but as a way to kind of practically grow, and I'm sure a lot of ones have this, but in their budget, to have, um, even in all the categories, some flexibility for whether it's your spouse or your kids, um, whether it's, I know that Dave Ramsey has a category like, you know, um, just, you know, blow your cash money, like just go for it. Um, and just have a category where you can be spontaneous or impulsive free. Um, and that's moving towards that seven where they grow in freedom and grace, recognizing also the sovereignty of God, that he is in control of all things. We don't have to be ultimately absolutely in control, have some flexibility in there to experience uh, freedom and joy and liberation in ways that you may not normally do. We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90-minute sessions, and there's eight of them. Plus, you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Well, one of the things that Beth and I have done is whenever we put these together, we try not to be anecdotal. We try not to stereotype. We want to hear from the types themselves. And so we surveyed our platform on social media as well as email and uh, some of our friends. And but one of the things that a type one told us was uh, they said, I find that if I can keep close to a budget, I can build in freedom to make these spontaneous decisions without overspending. Mm -hmm. So they already know like that they, they are both and Mm -hmm. they want to restrict spending, but yet also want freedom. They long for freedom. And so what this type one is speaking to is that how do I honor? How does my budget reflect what my heart desires, not in a restrictive sense, but in a full sense. Already type twos, you're next. Yeah. So Beth, tell us about what twos value or what their core motivations are as it relates to money. Absolutely. So when we get 
down to those core motivations again, the core fear is that they're going to be rejected, that they're not going to be wanted or needed or loved. They're actually fearing that they're going to be worthless or needy, but they, what they're really wanting is to be appreciated, loved and wanted. And so you'll see that their spending habits are going to reflect that they might actually overspend and overgive in hopes that others will give them that appreciation. And this is where their core weakness of pride comes in. See, pride is where they know other people's needs and feelings. But what happens is they confidently move into, and others can call it intrude, into people's lives to help them advise, give, serve, buy something for them in hopes that that person will be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. You're so amazing. What would I do without you? Now that's a slippery slope because it's, there's nothing wrong that people appreciate us, but it's when we are giving to get that, that's when it's not a good thing. So you can imagine, just think about a type one and a type two in a relationship together. A type one is wanting to do the right thing, the principled thing. The type two is wanting to do the helpful or the relationally supportive thing. Mm -hmm. And they miss one another. It's not that one another are wrong in it, but they totally bring a fear or a value, Mm -hmm. a motivation to how they use money. When this gets right to Shanti and Jeff's first principle, we don't value what the other person values. Number two, we don't understand one another's fears and how money relates to those fears. So for a type two, when he uh, realizes too, for a type two, money is about relationships. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're going to think in relational terms. Now, but number two is that uh, your type twos, you're going to know that money, that there's a fear being activated whenever you are using money to manipulate. Mm-hmm. When you are, when you come to the conclusion that the only way that this person is going to get help is by you doing something for them. Yeah. And those are all the tendencies of two, exactly what you just said overly generous um, with their gifts and their money and their time because they want to help others in order to know that they're okay. And that's where we want twos to be twos. We want ones to be ones, but we want them to be at their healthiest place. And we'll get into that here in a second for twos. But one of the challenges for twos is the overgiving. And this isn't just always monetarily. It's their energy. It's their focus. um, But also not feeling that they have enough to give. So they kind of might get frustrated that where, why can't I have more money to spend? Even feeling guilty about not having money to spend. Right. Cause they can see the needs and, and they want to come through. Um, and then, yeah, the whole thought of being selfish, they have a hard time receiving from others. So others might want to give to them and they want to kind of shut that down and go, no, 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 no. Let me give to you or let me serve you because they are afraid of that feeling of selfishness, which Receiving is not being selfish, but they fear that because they fear others will see it as being selfish and then will, others will reject them. Tell me about what it, uh, twos are like when they're unhealthy in their relationship with money. Yeah, well, you know, they can be um, sometimes prideful and intrusive and overly accommodating in hopes to give to others, to show others how much they love them and want to serve them. You know, I can um, uh, the scenario comes to mind where a type two if their spouse isn't in agreement in spending money or helping other people with money, that a two might secretively give gifts or Mm -hmm. help to others, but they're not in oneness with their Mm -hmm. spouse, but they're going to be unhealthy and do it anyway and have it their way. Right. And again, they're going to avoid their own needs while focusing on the needs of others. 
Um, and this can also bring a lot of resentment up because they do have needs. We all have needs and they can get exhausted um, and resentful that, well, why can't I be taken care of? But that's in their own mind that they can't be taken care of. Yeah. Twos often will create dependent relationships, but then grow resentment whenever other people aren't recognizing their need. Twos might use money actually to fill a void that's inside them, the void of, am I loved and wanted? And so they just really want to be very mindful of how they're using money and gifts, helpfulness in some sort of way to kind of manipulate others to give them what they're wanting. They want to hear in some form or fashion that they are loved and wanted, but really what they're wanting is to know that they're unconditionally loved, not based off all these gifts. And that's where Christ comes in and redeems the two moving from kind of unhealthy habits into more healthy patterns. And this is where humility comes in for the two. They do, they know people's feelings and needs but they need to see their own needs. And when a great um, scripture for this is when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. No, no, Jesus, not me. Yes, you. You need to be cared and loved for by Jesus Christ first. Once you are cared and loved and you feel that unconditional love as a type two, you are filled up. You don't have that void anymore. And then what comes out of the heart is true generosity, true help, because no longer is it giving to get. You are already giving and now you can give back. I'm mindful of the words in Corinthians where Paul's instructing the churches to give. He says that we are not to give on impulsively or under compulsion. And so for the type two to recognize that just because there's the initial inclination to want to address a need in others, that doesn't necessarily mean it comes from a good motive. Sometimes it can come from a fear that's happening in your heart, Mm -hmm. but also recognize spouses that if you tell a two to not spend money on something, Mm -hmm. you're not telling, making a financial request. You're telling them not to serve another person. Yeah. And that's the lens for which you see it. And that's where the conversation needs to happen. Maybe it's not, no, don't spend money, but what are some other ways that we can address their need that may not involve money? Yeah. And, you know, one of the stories that we heard, this is a fantastic quote from a type two, um, where they said, pay attention to overgiving that my type amplifies how needy other people are. That, that is the money right there. My type, my two-ness amplifies how needy other people are. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I'm remind myself that I'm, that they are capable and that often I'm really not helping them by diminishing their capacity in my mind. So I see my amplification of others' needs as a reminder to come home to myself. This means that I'm respecting others and myself. It allows a more reciprocal relationship of giving and receiving. And resentment is a good cue that I'm overgiving. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. that is so powerful. So powerful. Because, again, we want twos to serve. We want them to love. But it has to come after they have been poured into by Christ feeling loved and cherished by Christ, then all that they're doing and giving is just so remarkable and beautiful. We need those twos to show up in that way. Well, we all know that the best people with money are type threes. Yes. So we're going to talk about how awesome threes are with money. There's a little (laughs) little pun there going on. No, but yeah, I mean, all the types, which is so fascinating about talking about the Enneagram, all the types are amazing with money when they're at their healthiest. 
and they're all going to really struggle when they're not. That's right. Um, but so the the values that you might be missing if you're related to a three or in relationship with a three um, is not knowing their core motivation. So the core fear of the three is not feeling successful to having an admirable image, thinking that they're worthless or inefficient. So what they're really desiring is to have high status, high regard, to have others see them as admirable, to see them as successful. But what can happen is they can slip into their core weakness of deceit. And this is where they're deceiving themselves into believing they're only the image they present to others. And so they can embellish the truth. Now, so they can do this with their money. They will feel that buying the right things, whether it's um, the right shirts, the right cars, the right house, the at, right, the right price, at the right or price or the right look. Yeah. Um, all of those things will be admired by others. Okay. Um, maybe there are three who is into promoting being frugal and being in a budget, you know, showing others how they do it. So again, it's about their image and what do people see? They don't want to be exposed for what's going on truly under the hood. And so that can get them kind of tripped up in something. So some of the um, kind of maybe the struggles that they're going to find themselves in with money is if they think that image is going to win them relationships or status. So again, they might overspend on certain things. It could be their car. It could be their house. It could be their clothes. It could be experiences. You know, I, I do remember a uh, type three telling us that his wife had made up a contract that he would not get a new car every year. He kept trading them in. He'd always be looking for the next car, but he received that as uh, actually a, an invitation to maturity and to to peace because it was like, yeah, I, this frenetic av- activity to try to find the right car that's going to be express the image, but also recognize that if you're a spouse, when you're telling them, don't go get the car in this particular situation, you're you're inviting them to address their core fear Mm -hmm. and that's going to be tough. So you need, if it's not done well, if it's not done well, that's right. right. Cause you're saying, and even they're going to be resistant. Don't go out there and have, you know, a good reputable image. I mean, they're going to fight back against that because we all think everyone sees the world the way we do. So the three things that everyone cares about status cares about looks, but they don't, but they, the three doesn't know that. So you have to enter that conversation in a way of being empathetic and compassionate and understanding to bring the two of you into, um, you know, agreement on Mm -hmm. what is important. Um, and so what we want the threes to do is to recognize that it's no longer about them it's about us. It's about we instead of I, it's about we. That's where threes really grow is when they go into their virtue of uh, genuineness, authenticity, realness, loyalty, commitment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when they go in and they bring out what's really going on in their heart and expose it, which is one of their greatest fears, and they recognize I'm still loved, like I'm still cared for, like it's not about the image it's about who I really am, then that helps them to free up this need to get an image. And it helps them to be a great cheerleader, a teammate and cheer each other on with whether it's with real money, or just encouragement, affirmation, a plan, they can really bring to the table so much good when they go into why are they buying that? What is going on 
Um, are they so concerned about their image and that they have the right status? Or when they recognize the real authenticity of who they are, that they are broken and that they need a savior and that their image now is the beloved child of God, that moves them into seeing others that need someone just like them to come alongside and support them. And it brings out a whole different level of generosity. It brings a level of peace. And really the thing I hear the most from threes is I just want to learn how to exhale. They're spinning their wheels. They feel like they constantly have to figure this out to have that success, that image, but they already have it in Christ. And that allows their hearts to settle and to move forward with a plan but not a frenetic plan. There, there's a quote, I can't remember what movie it's from, but I remember some of my pastor friends uh, referring to it. And the quote was, you are worth more than your khakis. I can't remember what movie it was from. <laughs> some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but the idea, threes, you are worth more than this glittering image mm-hmm. that you are pursuing. Yes. You are so infinitely worth more. Yes. Well, for type three, we had someone who, who offered this for us. They said this, uh, I moved from focusing on using money to create an image to using money consistently with my values so that I can bless others and bless myself. Man, isn't that uh, so insightful there that it's, about what are you attuning your heart to as a three and pursuing with your money? And how is that literally sabotaging or betraying the values that you have for your life and your relationship? Alrighty, just to reiterate what we're uh, applying here is these three principles that the Feldhans discovered in thriving in love and marriage. Uh, number one is that we don't value what the other person values. Uh, that could relate to stuff, the timing or process for purchasing um, stuff or saving. Number two is that our fears are related to how we spend money. So we are addressing fear in how we approach money. And then um, the third one is, is that we resist oneness because that means vulnerability. Mm -hmm. That means I'd have to address a core motivation inside of me in order to be one with my spouse as we approach money. Which is why the Enneagram is so great because we can now understand each other's and our own core fears, desires, weaknesses, and longings and the other person. And we can own it and surrender to Christ and move forward towards one another, knowing that he will bring us in right relationship. Alrighty. So type four is your next. Yeah. So type fours, um, their fear. So for those that are in relationship with the four, recognizing that they have a fear that they are going to be inadequate, emotionally cut off. So you're going to say, don't have your emotions, um, plain mundane. And they really are concerned about being defective and flawed and not significant. So what they really desire is to be true to themselves, to find their own values and to express them uniquely to the world. But what's going to happen is their core weakness is going to um, pop its head up. And that is envy because fours do feel that there's something tragically flawed or missing inside them and that others possess these qualities that they lack. And so money, right? Status. Um, other people are unique or different or what's wrong with them. Or their own expression of how they spend or save money. They can kind of, they might say is sophisticated or something unique about how they approach money mm-hmm. that maybe others don't. And in order to resolve, 
resolve this tension in their heart that maybe there's something flawed about them. And so they're pursuing uniqueness in how they spend it. And if they have money, um, they might spend it to show their own aesthetics and beauty. If they don't have as much money, or let's say they don't have enough money to get that thing that that they feel will represent them well, that can be a real struggle. Sometimes they'll even spend it, even if they don't have it, because that one thing represents them really, really well. So their approach to planning money can really be interesting because a lot of times fours feel misunderstood and they also can feel like others um, are doing things that aren't quite for them. So they might look at a lot of budgeting uh, plans out there or listen to teachers and like, "Eh, that's not really for me. That's too mundane, too boring, too... What's well, restrictive and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the four moves to one in growth. And so to actually put boundaries around their yeah. expression, uh, whether it could be a budgeting system, an app or whatever, mm-hmm. that's going to feel restrictive to a one. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's not for them. That's what it's going to feel like mm-hmm. for them. And so what can happen when they kind of get in that mode is... Um, kind of into some more struggling tendencies where their attention is going to go to what's missing. So fours are longing for what's missing and wanting to fill that void, to fill that gap with beauty and aesthetic design and what's true to them. And so they're going to, at times, overspend if they feel that that's going to fill that emotional void. They can also, at times, that envy can... um, come up and they can feel like they're missing something that others have where the grass is greener on the other side. Why don't I have that completeness, that wholeness? What's wrong with me? And so that will create an overspending and maybe underspending just depends on how they work their money. Again, we don't want to stereotype any specific type because there's a wide gamut of different subtypes and different categories, but just the overall understanding of these core motivations and how it's propelling the four or any of these types uh, forward is really important. Now, an invitation for the four in moving forward is really recognizing you are unique, your aesthetics, your design, how God created you intimately um, and uniquely is so important. We want that to show up. But if it comes from a place in your heart where you believe you're defective and flawed, you believe there's something wrong, it's not going to come out in its trueness. When you recognize that God created you uniquely to be who you really are, and that he loves, and it is good to see who you are, but more importantly, to bring in balance. Now, this isn't mean that we want your emotions to go away, but we want those emotions to be balanced. It's the word for their virtue is equanimity. And equanimity means to experience what you're really experiencing, but seeing it in the light of reality, and in the light of balance. And Jesus was a great example of equanimity. You know, this next, I uh, think, invitation for a four is what I mentioned earlier about moving to one, is that what is the best creative expression of how you're going to use your money and live by that plan or that tailored vision or goals that are specific to you? Yeah. Because it's not going to be healthy for you to live without any set goals or boundaries on what money will look like, because you're going to get spun out mm-hmm. due to the ups and downs and the various things that you're going to be feeling. And they can create a budget in a way that is unique to them, that fits and feels right. 
So this quote from uh, Type 4, I, I find very profound. They said, I, I have to watch out for envy. That was something that Beth mentioned earlier about the core weakness. If I'm not careful, my attention drifts to all the money and financial savvy and privileges other people have that I don't. I can start feeling irredeemably broken and swirl around in woe. It's super unproductive and disconnects me from myself and everyone else. And that's the last thing I want. Mm. I mean, do you see how fear works here is that it leads to our own diminishment Mm. and it actually sabotages our longing to be connected with people. Mm -hmm. And like this type four is talking about it. That's the last thing I want Mm -hmm. is to prove that I'm somehow not connected with people. And that's why this reminds me of what Paul said in Romans seven. I do the things that I don't want to do. And I don't do the things that I do want to do. And that's for all nine types. Like you're saying, we actually do the very things that sabotage our own type. And so for four is the invitation again, is to recognize that yes, you have a unique perspective on finances and how to bring beauty to the world, but bringing that into um, some sort of system that keeps you grounded And in reality, keeps your emotions more steady, but rich and deep is going to be so helpful. So type fives, let's talk about what type fives value Mm -hmm. when it comes to their relationship with money and what the tendencies are, both unhealthy and healthy tendencies. Yeah. So their core fear is really being depleted to not have resources, to be incapable, incompetent, not to be knowledgeable. Because they're wanting to engage in the world, but the mm -hmm. world is demanding too much. Yeah. And so they're trying to detach mm-hmm. to get enough resources and money is a part of that dynamic. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So their desire is to be capable and competent, insightful and knowledgeable, which goes into their core weakness of avarice. Now, avarice usually means greedy with money, but really what this means is they feel like they lack those inner resources or physical resources and they want to hoard, not for hoarding sake, but because of that fear that they're not going to have anything. They're going to be depleted. Um, and just to remind you again, I'm like, this is a great example of how couples can miss one another. That if a spouse is saying, why is it that we're saving so much money? You have to be able to connect the fear to that behavior in order to connect with one another, because you're literally saying to a five, feel insecure. Yes. Feel like you're feel inadequate, feel and incapable. That's right. And Mm -hmm. the reaction to that is going to be much more. Well, for a five, it may not be big and emotional, but more reserved and detached, like Mm -hmm. they're not even listening to you. Right. And so that some of the tendencies uh, for the five is that they're, they really believe that there's not going to be enough money or resources. And so they need to hold on to these resources. So what you're going to find is they're going to um, be very frugal. They're going to be very mindful of their money and where it's going. And they're going to save a lot because they're so afraid of not having. And so example is actually, we know a couple of fives that were doctors and they drove really old cars because they wanted to keep their resources um, plentiful. Um, And so a lot of people could see that as being stingy or hoarding in a negative term. But if they understand what's going on under the hood, they're going to understand the real fear of 
losing all their resources and not having enough, let's say, relational energy and capacity. And once that's gone to them, it is gone. So I remember working with a type five and um, we had given them the budget to be able to purchase something that was for the sanctuary. But for him, it was he wanted to do it himself. He wanted to save the church's money. He wanted to learn how to do it himself because he and he wanted to bring a certain element of uniqueness to it um, because it was something he made. It was going to be less expensive. It was going to serve the interest of the church when the whole time I'm like, just buy it and get it done. <laughs> right, right. And they're going to research something to the nth degree. Oh, and that gets to value too, because the value is not just the stuff we value, but it's the process and mm-hmm. how we spend is also one of the values. And they're very independent. And so whatever they research, they want to independently follow that. But that's also where they get tripped up because they don't feel like they're capable and competent. Mm-hmm. So they may have a lot of research and a lot of knowledge, but to them, there's always more to find or it's overwhelming. And what they can find is that they actually don't move in any direction, especially the direction that they've learned that is the good way, because there's more to learn. What if they're missing that one piece of knowledge? And so what we want uh, fives to recognize is that that way of thinking of being really anxious of not knowing or losing or being depleted can create their own struggles with money or their struggles with money with other people. Um, and so we want to invite fives to be observant. They're the observers of the world, but we want them to move in their healthy direction of type eight. Eights are very assured people, very confident people. And so what we want is fives to recognize that they have all this knowledge and all these resources to put into action. And that's where we're wanting fives to move is put it into action, bless yourself and bless others by actually accomplishing a budget, but also having fun money um, and all the things that kind of go with it. That will help the five to really feel at rest in their heart that they're not going to be completely depleted. I really love what Paul has to say where he says that Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That is our holiness, righteousness, and redemption. And the idea there that type fives, all that you are longing for to be able to be assured to engage in the world comes from God. Mm -hmm. And wisdom begins with the fear of God being in relationship with him. But the more that you attune to your fear, the more it will lead to your own diminishment and create that which you fear. Well, and also their virtue is called non-attachment, which sounds like to a lot of people as detached, like, oh, Mm -hmm. I should detach. No, no, no. We're not talking about that. We're actually saying don't like non-attach yourself to things, to money, to hoarding resources. And that that is not at all say don't save, don't have wise financial planning. But if you think that by hoarding resources, whether it's money, time, energy, is knowledge is going to bring you life, it's really not going to be that. And so we want the fives to recognize that God is the one who sovereignly plans all things and that through good planning, there can become a new freedom to move into relationship with money and with others. So Beth and I are really stoked about this quote from a type five because it's profoundly insightful. And when we read these things, you know, it 
if you're not a five, you're like, what in the world are they talking about? But a five is going to be like, nailed it. So, but this is just another way for us to gain insight into one another's worlds and how we perceive the world and interpret it. Well, and let me preface this, this quote is that people, relational interactions with people can deplete fives immensely more than any other type. And so they want to spend time with people, but they're going to choose to spend time with certain people because like me with you, if I spend time with you, that's worth depleting me because you're so important to me. I don't deplete Beth. I only <laughs> energize her. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Back to the type five, Beth, not our marriage. Uh, this is what a type five says. I have to treat money like a beloved person or friend. I have to love it or my relationship with money and feel loved by it, which means putting a lot of mindfulness around my rituals and self-care when I'm looking at financial things. So this is that relational dynamic. Mm -hmm. Now, don't miss it to say he needs this or this person. I don't know if it was a man or a woman, but um, that this is not loving money. This is about a metaphor for having a relationship a loving, kind relationship that is mutually enhancing. Mm -hmm. And so when I do that on a regular basis, it's wonderful. I'm empowered and in partnership with money and it's great. But when I let go of those habits, my consciousness and attention to money deteriorate. Money starts to feel like one of my outer circle friends that just sends me an email out of the blue and I'm too overwhelmed to respond. So I just don't give money attention at all. Mm -hmm. But you see the pivot for the five to treat money the way that life-giving relationships uh, give this person. Absolutely. I I love that quote. I think all the fives out there will totally resonate. And if you don't understand that or don't fully resonate and you have a five in your life, ask them about it. Ask them, what does that mean? Because it's going to be really important to understand how to bring money into right relationship for them so they can experience it and be confident to move forward with the knowledge they have. All right, type six. So here's the good news is that uh, sixes have the best relationship to money. Do they, Uh, We do. We operate out of wisdom. Mm. out of um, appropriate measures to deal with all of the details and the circumstances of life. Mm. And so, Bethy, why don't we just move on to type seven? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you listening, if you don't know, Jeff is a six. So, Jeff, yes, let's get to type six's core motivations. It is interesting. uh, As we talk through these different, uh, we're all through the different types. Mm -hmm. We I find that uh, whenever we're creating courses for, like when we created the marriage course for yeah. the type nine and six, we're like, oh, that's totally us. Yeah. Like it, we we walk into it each time, like, wow, this thing keeps revealing yeah. certain aspects of our hearts. In, and so, in different categories of life, which is so powerful. Um, and so for those that are in relationship with sixes, here's some of their values and core motivations. So the sixes fear that they're not going to have the security, the support, and the guidance to move forward with their money. Um, And they fear that they're going to be targeted and blamed because they take on um, a sense of responsibility and kind of hear through other people, like when people talk as if there's something, they did something wrong, that they weren't being loyal enough or committed enough. And so what they're desiring is security, guidance, and support. Um, But where they're going to get tripped up is the core weakness of anxiety. And so for sixes, they have an internal committee that's chiming in with all the possibilities to use their money. Well, you could do this thing, but oh, but this mentor said this, but this book said this, but this course said that. 
And they can get exhausted with all the possibilities of making this better and the fear of which one is the right one. And so what you're going to find, the tendencies are going to be a little bit um, broad with the sixes. So we're going to talk about um, a scope of sixes. We're not doing that with the other types, not because there isn't a scope, but because the sixes, there's what we call the phobic six all the way to the other spectrum of counterphobic six. The phobic sixes, all of the sixes have that anxiety that we just talked about. The phobic sixes feel that anxiety and succumb to it more. All the and, way, and that's the use of the stereotype. It's is usually, the, yeah, that's what the people anxious, think about. indecisive, mm-hmm. um, a lot of self doubt, a lot of worry. But there's also something that's very different called the counterphobic six. Well, I mean, and I would say the counterphobic six has those same qualities, but the phobic sixes succumb to those self-doubt, indecisiveness, whereas the counterphobic pushes into it. They're like, I'm not going to be scared. I'm going to show you or I'm going to show myself. It can look very Mm eight-ish, but it's a kind of strength or decisiveness that comes from anxiety, Mm -hmm. not from assurance or security. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people that might be listening go, well, how do you know the difference between a six and an eight then, a counterphobic six? Well, the eights are very confident and assured people. They know what they want to do and what they need to do from a gut reaction and they do it. Sixes, on the other hand, feel indecisive because of that inner committee that shows them all the possibilities. And they either think it through for a long time, but they usually are getting advice from those external from them. And once they feel the same sense of guidance and support, then they'll move forward. Eights aren't they're not waiting for that. But okay, so sixes that are that are phobic, that they succumb to those fears and anxieties are going to be much more anxious and concerned with their security. And they might really kind of um, have a lot of savings, they're going to be very mindful of an emergency fund, all the what ifs, they're going to be usually uh, pretty responsible with money and following the advice of others, almost to a T. And their conversations with those that they're in relationship with is really about that security system. Now, the counterphobic side, they're more focused on building safety in their relationships. So they want to use their money, and their resources to connect with the people that they find the most important in their life. And one counterphobic six said, as long as there's a little cushion they are happy to use money to connect and to have safety and security in their relationships. So I just want, and that doesn't mean that the counterphobic sixes are going to spend their money foolishly or they don't care. They just have a little bit different of a perspective. So I wanted to kind of bring that to this conversation. But when a six is maybe struggling, they are, like you just said, Jeff, they're going to be very indecisive. They're going to have a lot of self-doubt and they can be very cynical. They also might be very suspicious of people giving them advice. Can I trust you? Are you the right person? Are you the right authority? What do you know? And so they're going to spend more time trying to find that right, either authority or belief system to move them forward. Um, And so the invitation for the sixes is their virtue of courage. See, sixes are some of the most um, thoughtful and have great discernment, but they just don't trust it because of that inner committee. But if they will recognize, you know what, I have a lot of wisdom and insight, they can move forward with their own thoughts and their own actions. And in fact, actually, sixes are the most courageous on the Enneagram because they're daily fighting this inner committee to move forward. And we all know our sixes move forward in life. So they're very, very courageous. So there are a few things that uh, this brings up inside of me as I think for Beth and I, uh, one, when it, I, 
I would use money, as I mentioned in part one, to buy books. That was a big thing for me. And then mm-hmm. I also enjoyed uh, coffee. So I would go and read my books at a Starbucks. And it always strained our budget mm-hmm. um, to the point that in the way that I resisted oneness is that um, I wouldn't tell Beth that I was buying books or so I might have books delivered to the church yeah, versus at right, home. Right. <laughs> and when Beth would try to address it with me, not understanding how it was connected to my fear of being insecure and not having enough help to engage with the world, our conversations went nowhere Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel like she was actually hearing what was happening and nor did I recognize, to be honest with you, I didn't recognize how my experience growing up contributed to my fear of needing to know by reading books, by listening at that time, cassette tapes of <laughs> sermons and series and all those different things. And we would miss each other and yeah. how we were using, how I was using money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did find that I'm much more at rest and I'm less compelled by the need for resources or savings as I have addressed my own fears in my own heart. Mm-hmm. Now, it's still true that I will listen to many advisors, but oftentimes it doesn't resolve the fear Mm -hmm. because the the fear of man is a snare. And if I'm giving authority to a teacher, an author, a pastor, or some other financial professional, the more I give authority over to them, it actually creates more fear inside of me. So what brings you real rest? What brings me rest is faith in Christ that I have what I need to move forward. Mm. It's not that I have it inside myself, but one of the passages from the Psalms that it says, I will lead you in the way you should go. I will, I love you and I will watch over you. Mm. And there's a sense, this is assurance that Christ has been intimately involved in all of my life. And so anything that I needed to make this particular decision, he has either generously already given me by his spirit, or he intends to give me the answer and the clarity whenever I need to make the decision versus giving over authority, giving over um, my own volition to a professional or to an author. Uh, And that helps me to be able to move forward. And so I buy less books now Mm -hmm. um, because no longer is it I've got to have all of it. It's because I... I need, I only need the best of it. Mm. And, and this too speaks to, and I will say this, and it's true of all the types. So, uh, I, I function both in with the wings of five and seven, Mm -hmm. which can be look polar opposites. Mm -hmm. How is it that a person can move to research and seclusion, but yet also be adventuresome like a seven? And they're both part of me. I even have names for them, Mm -hmm. um, because they show up at different times, but they have different approaches to money. Mm. And so at times I could be very conservative. At times I can be um, very licentious with my money. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, the quote for the type six, uh, and this is not me, this is someone else, but they said this, the belief that I can learn about money and grow a sense of sovereignty around it is an ongoing revelation. I'm capable of learning more all the time. I am capable of learning what I don't know. I don't always have to look to other people to show me what to do. I can learn what I need, 
even if it's slow. And what that is, is that rather than giving the authority or the choice over to advisors, this six is speaking to, no, 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 I can make decisions for my own life. I am enough. I can meet the challenges that I'm going to face no matter what scenario may come up. Great. Well, we have some exciting news. Sevens are next. Yay. <laughs> Yay for sevens. Our, our entertaining optimist. Great. So let's talk about the values and the motivations that really drive uh, type sevens relationship to money. Yeah, I think this is going to be really helpful for those that are in relationships with sevens because sevens fear being deprived, trapped, um, limited, bored, and definitely missing out on something fun. So you can already start. So your budget is going. wonderful for a seven. They love it. <laughs> they love it. That's right. No. Um, well, and so they desire to be happy, fully content and satisfied. But what's going to happen is their core weakness is going to really rise up. And it's the core weakness of gluttony. And this isn't just about food. This is about this insatiable desire to fill themselves up with stimulation and excitement. And so think of them as going around feeling like they're starving inside and they see all this cotton candy in life and they just go around trying to eat as much of that cotton candy because it tastes so good, but it never satisfies. And so they want more and more. And that can lead into certain tendencies for the seven. Um, they love life. They, they just love it and they love all the things that it offers. And so they can buy and overspend and be very impulsive. Um, they can overestimate their love for something in the moment. Like this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And they impulsively buy it because they think it's going to bring that satisfaction, like that cotton candy. But then maybe a day, week, a month later, it's like, wait, Mm, well, even in the moment, it. once it once they have it, they're off to the next thing that yeah. it's, they don't even get to, in the word you use is savor, they don't even get to savor what mm -hmm. they actually just purchased. Yeah. And so they're off to the next thing, but they're going to reframe it. So if you're in a relationship with a seven, they're like, oh, it's going to be the greatest thing. Oh, I know I, I, I didn't love that one thing. Well, that's because of these reasons. But this, this is going to be the greatest. Um, and so some of the unhealthy patterns that they can kind of find themselves in is when they are feeling deprived or bored or limited, they can be very scattered, self-serving, and wanting to avoid any kind of emotional pain. They're going to look for anything that can satisfy them. And spending money is to them no problem, like whatever it takes. Um, now, this is when they're not doing well. Um, and well, and, and I'll add this too, because uh, this is something that su often surprises people when they're relating with sevens, is that if a seven feels trapped, they can actually become very aggressive mm -hmm. and very critical of others. Mm -hmm. And so if you're getting close to a fear yep. with a type seven and they're going to experience pain or having it needing to admit to a mistake, they can become very one like yep. and become critical and very rigid with those around them. And so it's almost like an, uh, uh, like a mama bear attack mm -hmm. versus defensive. They're going to make sure they're going to silence what you're inviting them to um, because they don't want to go there. Yeah. So our invitation for sevens, instead of avoiding a budget is to recognize that there is freedom in a budget. Um, and that so the seven are probably like, what? This sounds horrible. It sounds so boring and mundane and tedious. But see, mastering their finances. So the, the virtue of a seven is sobriety. We're not talking about sobriety from drinking. We're talking about their internal sobriety coming inside and recognizing why are they trying to chase things? What is real satisfaction and contentment look like. And that is ultimately first getting their true satisfaction from Christ themselves. It can't come from people. It can't come from things or experiences. 
And once they recognize this, they can look towards some sort of budgeting system that they find fun. Go ahead and have something fun. This does not have to be boring, but that they have accountability that they hone in on. Because when a seven uses a budget that they, that feels right to them, that's fun and exciting, it brings them freedom. It brings them liberation because they can establish a budget that fits them rightly. So maybe they love movies. Well, develop a budget where you have fun money, or maybe you love uh, going on vacations. Well, develop a budget that has room for vacations or flying or whatever it is, but let that be your liberation, your fun money, so that you are taking care of all those other things. This is actually them moving into their five space by gaining resources and information and holding on to what they need, but also moving into the healthy direction of one where they're grounded and principled and doing what's right. And this can bring them absolutely freedom because then when they know that, oh, I've saved my money, we're going to go on a trip. This is going to be great. They can learn to be present in the moment and savor those blessings. Beth and I came across a quote that was in one of Brene Brown's book that said that the treasure you seek is in the cave you fear. And there is this frenetic activity that can happen for the seven. But whenever their hearts come to rest by addressing the fear that's happening in their heart and becoming more emotionally sober, in their relationship with money, they will actually find that the freedom desire that they long for actually call when they find it in Christ and they walk into what they fear, they actually find more satisfaction, more yeah. rest. And there's not as much of a need for all the frenetic activity. Well, here's a great quote from a type seven that illustrates this very idea. Uh, they said, focus on what you really want Long term. And the the focus there is on really, uh, it's a fundamental desire, not the fleeting desires versus what's new and exciting right now. The trap of the type seven is immediate gratification. Embrace holy work. It'll give you more satisfaction than you could have ever dreamed of before. Great. Well, eights don't have any problems with money. They spend it well. So, um, yeah. yep. Move on. Let's move on. Type no. nine's your name. <laughs> no, yeah. So eights, you know, it's going to be really important for others to understand where eights are coming from, because I think eights can be very misunderstood a lot of times, to be honest. Now, what eights are valuing comes from the core fear that they fear being weak, powerless, controlled, manipulated, vulnerable, and left at the mercy of injustice. What they're really wanting is to protect themselves and those in their inner circle. So just to reiterate and to apply the same principle consistently, but remember, if you're telling eight not to do something with money, you're literally telling them to, to choose vulnerability, to not be there on the behalf of others who right. are close to them and dear to them. And so it recognize that you may find resistance when you're talking to an eight and the resistance is because of the beliefs and the motivations behind it. Right. And for them, so one, they're wanting to protect themselves again, and those that are around them from being manipulated, betrayed, blindsided with in money. And so for their core weakness, this is lust or excess. And basically, Eights are go big or go home. What I want, I'm going to get kind of people. Which, I mean, that can be kind of off and on, meaning they could be saving a lot of money and yes. a lot of resources 
And they can be very impulsive in their spending at time for because of that desire for intensity in life. Well, and I don't know if I would even say impulsive because they're very mindful. Whereas, it, I mean, if they have a strong seven wing, they might be more impulsive. Um, a lot of eights are very um, big savers and big spenders. It's both because they do not want to be controlled by their money by a bank, by debt, or whatever it is. And so they are going to do whatever they need to do to be in the black, to have control and to do what they want to do. It's so interesting when you say about being controlled, because I would imagine for many of you who might be married to eights, you recognize that you're not going to be able to control them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so for them, it, and they're, and they're, they listen to their gut. And when their gut says, no, I want that they want it and they're going to go get it. It's that simple. Um, and so we talk about snow, them being snow plows, either they're going to plow a path in a healthy way for others. So they're for their family, their marriage with finances and get things all lined up and taken care of, or they can accidentally, if they're un, not paying attention, start to nick or plow over people, meaning I'm going to get what I want, whether you like it or not. And that's the unhealthy pattern. So really what we want eights to recognize is that mentality of the snowplow. Where is the focus in that moment and what you're doing? And so we want eights to really kind of recognize what is their ultimate goal, because they can be so profound in a healthy way in their generosity. That's again, the plowing for people. Eights are some of the most generous out there. Um, And so we want them to see the needs of their family and others and themselves and plow that path. And there's a lot of ways that they can do it. And eights are great about finding strategies and methods. That's never the problem for them. But for them to recognize when people say to them, hey, that that hurts me, or I'm not in alignment with this. The defensive mechanism for the eight can be in a denial and denying that they're doing anything wrong and that the other person is not seeing it right. And so what we want is we want the eights to embrace the virtue of innocence, to recognize that they have needs and that others can come alongside with them and give them input and wisdom as well. That it's not just about them plowing the path. It's about coming together. And one thing I, I think that the the virtue or the opportunity that the eight has, you know, Christ served, the the, the metaphor in the, in the scriptures is that Christ served three offices, prophet, priest, and king. And in his execution of the offices, king, he not only subdued our hearts to him, but he subdued our enemies who are against us. There is a sense to where an eight can reflect the kingly uh, role that Christ served by protecting, but it's radically different versus this more seclusive hoarding and uh, hanging on to resources to a to really be prepared to handle any adversity that comes toward them versus a heart that's at rest with the truth of the gospel, that Christ is your King who is going before you. Absolutely. Well, this great, uh, this next quote is by a type eight. And I, I think it's going to be really helpful for eights. It's going to be helpful for those of you who are in relationship with eights. But uh, this particular eight said this, if you don't take control of your relationships with money, it will take control of you. I mean, even just the words that this person is using to describe their relationship with money, that who who's in control of the situation. And others have 
can have better insights and advice, and that is crucial to listen to and to learn from. This will enable me to have a balanced perspective of money where I can give generously, save for what might come and enjoy some of the things that I want. And and I love that. Like it four and eight in order to find healthiness, they're going to have to face what they fear. And that is listening and giving up control because the more that they pursue control, the more that they are controlled by what they're pursuing. Hmm, so good. Alrighty. Type nines. We're going to, finish up with the type nine. Now here's the good news is that Beth's a type nine and um, I've never had any problems <laughs> understanding what you value because you've always valued what I valued. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Or yeah, definitely. Well, and that gets into <laughs> it's awesome. You can see her thinking through that <laughs> statement. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it. Um, okay. So let's talk about what we value as nine. Yes, you do have values. That's right. I do. Yeah. Um, one of my values is the core fear of avoiding all tension and conflict of any kind, any kind of discord. And so a great way to do that is to merge with those around you. Yes. Jeff, how do you want to budget? What do you like? What do you want to spend on? Oh, sure. No problem. Right. Or whenever Beth would come up with a budget, she was always very generous with me and what I could spend, but then she wouldn't have anything for herself. That's so true. You would have a much higher allowance and I would be more frugal. Yes. I, I'm definitely, and, I'm, and not all nines are necessarily the, the frugal ones, but um, I definitely can go, when it comes to money, I go into stress into my sick space. And I definitely can think of all worst case scenarios. So I want to prevent that by being more of a saver. Um, but I desire inner stability and peace of mind. So basically, I'm going to do whatever it takes to have inner stability and peace of mind. Does that mean I'm going to budget and stay to it? Does that mean I'm going to merge with you and the kids or whatever's going around me? Um, that's tricky. Um, but I'm just wanting to find stability and peace of mind. You know, it's interesting you say these things because I'm mindful. My dad's a type nine. Mm -hmm. Uh, my mom had illness growing up and for, um, that even led to her death in 2000. But he, I never saw him challenge my mom's spending. Mm -hmm. And my mom was a spender. Yes, she was. And as a two, she was a spender on me, a spender on the house, a spender for others. And, mm -hmm. but I never saw conflict because my dad just tried to make it work so that she could be happy. Absolutely. Which gets into the core weakness for the nines is sloth. And this isn't a physical laziness though, can be at times, but it's a not knowing ourselves, what we want, what we're passionate about, how we want to deal with money and why. And so that's where we get into merging with others. Um, and there's times where I've even said, hey, I want us to save or I want us to budget. I'll feel more safe and secure in that realm. And you might be all on board for a little while, but if you're not in it or don't want to do it, I can easily drift um, very quickly. And so some of the tendencies for the nine is, again, go with the flow. Um, we don't want to offend anyone we really kind of want to be generous, basically people pleasing, accommodating, um, and letting go of our own desires so that everyone else is happy, which can be really destructive financially. And if you're married to a nine and a nine has come to you with a thought or opinion about money, you need to realize they've climbed a big mountain to get to that point. Yes. And so you may be able to shut them down quickly um, because of the patterns that you develop or your particular uh, Enneagram type and your style of relating. But 
recognize that you need to listen and to be an advocate for their voice Mm -hmm. because otherwise they, they really will keep to themselves. Yeah. And we can come to the conversation um, of money optimistically. It's going to be fine. We're going to be great. No problem. Um, And that can actually frustrate the spouse because maybe they're seeing something wrong is going on. And then nine is just kind of nonchalant about it. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great because they're, it's, it, it's too troubling to face hardship. And so even approaching them very gently and asking, Hey, so why, why is it hard for you to face what's really going on? And just to recognize that it's that conflict and tension that's under the hood. And so nines, what you're going to find is um, they can be very unmotivated to, well, either it's either, or I know I can be very motivated to do a budget and I can get it all set up and it's looking good. And I can start the process, but I can easily start to drift, especially if I find, you know, it's impeding on your desires um, or the kids' desires. Mm -hmm. I can start to loosen my grip on that budget. Now I'm upset with myself for doing it, but I definitely don't want there to be tension. So nines can start a good plan, but they have a hard time sticking to it. Um, And they can be very generous and even gullible with their money. You can find nines just kind of giving of themselves and their resources without really thinking it through because they're so mindful of caring for others. It's different for the two though. It's more people are asking for their help and they give it versus them intruding. Now, the invitation for the nine is the virtue of engagement action. So we want the nines to think through, what do you really want? What does money look like for you? Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't, because we talked about one of the the three things that Shanti and Jeff talked about is avoiding oneness. And the nines are like, hey, I got that figured out. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And it's like, wait, no, hold on, hold on. We're not talking about merging completely and Mm, losing yourself. Right. We're talking about oneness as in who are you and who are they and bringing that together and both sides mutually respecting each other. But your spouse cannot respect what you desire or want or what your goals are if you don't even know what they are. Now, the nine might might be sitting out there going, but I don't know what they are. I know exactly because we have this internal fog that keeps us from fully knowing ourselves. But that isn't an excuse to try to dig deep and find out, journal, write, talk, Figure it out over the course of time. Be patient with yourself, but find what matters to you. What are you passionate about? What riles you up? What gets you irritated and frustrated, which really is anger um, or passion, but what irritates you and frustrates you? Focus on those things and start to come up with a plan and then bring that to your spouse and let them know these are the important things that I really want to stick to or I want to see happen. And then hopefully the spouses out there that are listening to this will recognize that the nine has done a lot of work to come up with their side of the equation. I love this last quote for uh, from a type nine uh, about nines, and it is about this idea of engagement. And they begin by saying, pay attention to your finances regularly. Don't let the bills and numbers intimidate you into not checking in with your finances. I mean, look at the terms for engagement there. Pay attention. Uh, not checking in. There is this tendency for nines, not only to not show up in relationship, but not show up in their relationship with their money. Mm -hmm. This person goes on further to say, avoiding that information is disempowering. You're literally creating the kind of relationship you're, you're saying your voice doesn't matter. Yeah. uh, And your voice and presence. And I always say what you permit, you promote. Yes. 
Take the time to reflect before you say yes to anything or anyone. Even though it's really hard, ask yourself the essential questions. Is this something I want to do? Is this something in my best interest? Is what I'm afraid will happen real or is it a projection? Mm -hmm. So you can already see even with those questions to take a moment and get a little bit of distance versus this instinctual response to accommodate to people that it will be hard for type nine to say no. Um, But that's actually your path of growth is to find your own voice and your own abilities. So I hope that you guys are hearing a lot of great things. One thing that Jeff and I don't want to camp out in is just stereotypical ways people do things. We're really wanting you to see the heart behind and the why behind each type does things. But to always come back to that Christ has got you already, that He has a path and a plan for you. And when we understand our own heart, when it's doing well, when it's not doing well, and bring that to Him, and we have compassion towards ourselves and others and ask them what they're needing, what they're wanting, we can work through these differences in a whole new way. We can transcend because He is on our side. Now, before we go, I do want to mention this. Um, We've focused a lot on relationships, particularly marriage relationships. Um, We've actually created a course for all 45 couple types Mm -hmm. um, that are going to help you to be able to transcend your patterns in conflict, your patterns in communication. And it's called Becoming Us. Uh, You can find it at becomingus.com. And we offer a specific discount during this season of quarantine uh, so that you can find the help you need to be able to connect with one another. Absolutely. And remember, this is specific to your couple type. So although we've described all the couple types, in the course, we talk about the two and the eight in relationship together, the yes. one and the six or the nine and the six, or the all of those combinations three and the three. or the three and the three. That's right. And so it's a great opportunity yeah. for you to learn about the dynamics or the dance between you so that you can be able to connect with one another and to reflect oneness. Um, that is the kind of oneness that is in the Trinity. That is that they are both distinct and yet one. Mm-hmm. And that's what we hope for, for your marriages. And so if you're going to get that course, um, the sale that we have on it is you need the coupon code becoming us 150 becoming us 150 and you're going to get it for 50% off all right so until the next time we hope that you guys have a wonderful week see you guys <laughs>